0: The scripture reading this morning is from Philippians 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count himself equally with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, This is the word of the Lord. Be
1: to God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. Lord, we exalt you as our King. And let us understand that we stand in your presence. And I pray that the people of God here would acknowledge their King, and that we would bow, and that we would confess that you are our Lord. And we know that this is only possible because of the Holy Spirit, so we ask for your Spirit to be with us. Be with me as I preach your word and be with your people as they receive your word. And together, may we, Lord, see you more clearly and say, Hosanna, blessed is the King. We thank you, O God, and we give it all to you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Today is uh, Palm Sunday, and we had just finished our series, so we're going to have time to reflect upon Jesus as our King, as our humble King. And the first question I want to ask you guys today is, as you walk into this church, what is your expectation of each other? Do you feel that each member of this church has the same expectation, same anticipation as you, as you come and sit down. And this is an important question to have because our expectations of each other most likely reveal our expectations of Jesus. What do we expect from Christ? And this is a fundamental question we must ask. Because what we expect of Jesus is what what we'll expect from others and what we'll expect church to either provide for us, give to us, or what avenue it will be for our community. On this Palm Sunday, we recount the time that Jesus returns to Jerusalem on a donkey. And as he enters, we see the expectation of the people who see Jesus, they begin to wave their palms, acknowledging that Jesus is the King, the Messiah, the Anointed One. And they were correct. But their expectations of the Messiah were misplaced. And we know this because on the very next week, we see Jesus is crucified, the one that they declared to be King. So what is their expectation? What happened? And it's always a little bit more complex than saying this group believed this and this group believed that. But the one thing we knew that we know is that when Jesus was crucified, no one was saying that it was wrong. They acknowledged that this was probably the right course of action. That maybe Jesus was not their king. So this Sunday is a perfect Sunday for us to, yes, reflect on that Jesus is king, but it is also time for us to reflect on what we think about as Jesus as king. And to Paul, this is essential because we must, as a church, have the same mind and have the same expectation of our king if we are to live as a church and to serve his kingdom. And so what is the mindset we should have. And that is the main question I'll be answering today. What is the mindset that us, each one of us should have? What should we expect from one another? What should we anticipate? What should we think about when we think about King Jesus? And so we began with verse five. Paul says, Have this mind among yourselves. And I want to start with that first clause. Paul, in the first four verses of Philippine, Philippians, which we don't have, is is talking about the unifying mind of the church of Jesus Christ. He wants everyone to possess the same mindset, to have the same attitude. And it's this, verses 3 to 4, and this is the attitude that he wants the church to possess. It says, "Do Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests but also to the interests of others. And I want to highlight verse 3 says, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Do we wake up each day thinking that the people here on church are more significant than ourselves? And this is a quite difficult task, is it not? To be honest, I love thinking about myself. I think I'm very significant. And if you think about it, 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 starts, it, it starts harmless, right? Because when I wake up, I think about what I want to eat. It's nothing big. I don't sit in front of the mirror all day and say, you are awesome. But I do, when I do wake up, the first thing on my mind is, I'm hungry. What do I want to eat? What do I need to do today? What do I What do I need to prepare so that my day goes well? And without even thinking, I'm continually thinking about myself. Even when I have meetings with Pastor David, I do not ask if Pastor David is doing okay. Maybe when I see him, but he is not the first thing I think about when I wake up. That would be quite strange now that I think about it. (laughs) But we are to have... We are to consider ourselves more, we are to consider others more significant than ourselves. And that is the mindset that Paul says that we must have among ourselves. And the only way we are going to get there is by understanding who Jesus Christ is and by understanding who, what he did for us. You see, this is not a natural thing for us to do. We cannot engage in this process by ourselves or by simply willing it. You can't set up a schedule or a program and say, you know what, I am going to think about others more than myself. It's almost impossible, it goes against our very nature and our very flesh. And as we continue to progress in our life, if we don't put our eyes, if we don't gaze upon Jesus, we will think about ourselves more and more, and it will seep into our vision until we think of ourselves as the highest beings possible. And this was prevalent even within the disciples of Jesus. Mark chapter 10, we see the disciples after Jesus had taught them and after Jesus had showed them that it was about humility and about serving, the first question that was on the minds of the disciples, particularly James and John, were, Jesus, can I sit on your right hand after you ascend into glory? That was their first question. We also see the apostle, or at this time, the disciple, Peter, and every time he defended Jesus, it seemed like he was doing a good thing. When Jesus explained to the disciples, I need to die, have this mindset, we are here to die to serve for the kingdom, Peter would stand up and say, "Now, Jesus, I got your back. I will defend you, and I will make sure that no one will hurt you. And what is, how does Jesus reply to Peter at this given point? He says, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Surely we'll say Peter had his heart in the right place. He was, trying, he was actually thinking of others, but you see, it is so natural for us to think in a certain way, to think in the way of the world, that if we do not gaze upon Jesus We will destroy ourselves. We will destroy the kingdom of God. And so that is why Paul says, have this certain mind among you. Not any mind, a certain particular mindset among you. And in the second verse, the ESV is translated, which is yours in Christ Jesus? And that's kind of a poor translation. And it's better saying, which is found in Jesus Christ? Which is? Attitude is found in Jesus Christ here Paul is not talking about our union with Christ per se But he is saying look to Christ That attitude that Christ displayed that is the attitude you need to have That is the attitude in which you need to follow so it begs the question. What is the mindset of Jesus? What was his disposition when he was here on earth And Paul then opens up into a beautiful hymn in which he describes Jesus Christ. And this is a hymn, a hymn that we think might have been sung in Second Temple Judaism. We're not sure, but it has a certain meter, a certain poetry to it, a poetic nature. But I'm not going to recite the poem. I'm going to try to explain it, which may not be the best thing to do the poem is usually better than the explanation but it is worth investigating because it is so rich in what and what kind of meaning Paul is to draw out and so Paul begins and says who is Jesus who though he was in the form of God so the first thing we learn about Jesus is that he was in the form of God he was divine Jesus is God and he was always God. There was a time when Jesus was not always in human form, but that he was in perfect union with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. He existed before the world began. Jesus says in John chapter 17 verse 5, he says, "And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed." Jesus is God. And this is why we can say that Jesus Christ is king. He is not like one of us. He existed before the world even existed. There was never a time when he did not exist. And this is maybe one aspect that we always forget about Jesus. That Jesus was God. Even to this day, people have, people would be Christians. They would say, Oh, I would follow the teachings of Jesus, I would become a Christian, but I cannot believe that you actually believe Jesus Christ is God. And the Israelites, they had a tough time believing this too. Why God is so holy and so other than us, why would God ever consider becoming man? And we know that the Israelites were frustrated or even highly angered by this claim Jesus made. Again, in John 8, verses 58, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was I am. And I am is the name that God used for himself in the Old Testament. So Jesus associates himself with God. And then it goes on to say in verse 59, so they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out to the temple. Here's one concept that angers the people of God and even angers our society today. How can you say Jesus is God? But surely Jesus claimed this and he owned it and he said, I am divine. And why is this an important place to start off? Because what we begin to realize is that Jesus had it all, there was no reason for him to ever become human. And that he was equal to God. That he had the same status as God, and knowing that he had the form of God, that he had the very existence of God, what did he do? What does Paul say? God does not use his status to say, God, we are equal, I'm not going to go down there. Rather, he uses his status to submit to God. He did not grasp for equality. He did not invoke his person in the Trinity. Rather, he said, I will submit to God, the Father, and become human. And it goes on to say that Jesus became a servant but the better translation at this point is still that Jesus became a slave. A servant has a positive connotation to it. A servant who, who, who kind of goes in uh, willingly. And yes, Jesus did that, but I think slave in "captured" better of what actually happened. Because what was slavery back in that time? It was a total abdication of rights. Slavery existed in the Greco-Roman times, and there was no positive connotation to slavery. You had given up your rights to serve your master. And this is what Jesus does as he comes and becomes human. He does not stop becoming God at this point. He does not give up his divinity. He does not give up his attributes as God. What he gives up at this point is his status and stature as God. And he comes down to be one of us, and it is what, and this is the process of we call incarnation, that Jesus becomes man, and we might not think about it like being human is pretty great. We're in, we're on top of the food chain. I mean, there's a lot of things that we love about being human. We love the the family, the emotions that we get to feel. But you have to understand, Jesus was God and he had all these things. And in perfect form. And he is the creator. And for him to submit himself to become one of us is insulting. Yes, it's amazing to be humans, but we have so many things that we have to deal with. Our sicknesses. Our insecurities, our fragility, our our self-esteem issues, our our, our desire to be with one one another, our our, our sickness. There are so many things that we have to feel. And probably the biggest thing that he has to feel is knowing that death is around the corner. Verse 8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. You see, when Jesus Christ became human, he agreed to die. And we can all affirm and agree that one of the worst things about being human is that we have to die, that we have to experience death. Jesus, who is the everlasting God, had no reason to ever experience this phenomenon, He is God. He created everything. Why would he have to experience this horrendous thing? And let's make no, let's not sugarcoat it. Death is not a good thing. It is not something we celebrate and have joy over. It's a sad thing. It's a thing we mourn over. It's something that is not natural to the human race. That is why, after thousands or millions of years, humans still feel the deep loss that is felt when death occurs. It is why when Jesus, in his time in experiencing Lazarus and his death, even though he knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, still wept, understanding the power of death. And yet here is our God who takes on human form and agrees that he will be obedient to experience this phenomenon called death but there's an extra clause for Christ just not does not just experience death but even death on a cross Jesus had to not only experience the phenomenon of death he had experienced death in the most horrendous way Jesus had to die on the cross for us and have you ever thought about that why did Jesus have to die this way why couldn't Jesus just come be human and die in his home with his family surrounding him, wouldn't that have done enough to save us? And the answer is no. Jesus had to die, that is one truth, but he also had to be our sacrifice. He had to be given up on our behalf and given to God. Jesus had to be fully man and a full adult, to come before God and he would be the first full man, the full, perfect, obedient man to die on a cross on our behalf. The whole point of Jesus' life was so that he could serve others. It was so that the people of God would come to them. And the only way that we could ever be reconciled to God was for a perfect man to die on our behalf to pay the debt that we owe to God. And it was Jesus who paid that price and thus reconciled us to him. This is who Jesus was. Jesus was God, he became man, and he died, and he died upon a cross. There was nothing about Jesus in which he says, I have come here to gain wealth, I have come here to have a powerful kingdom here on earth, I have come. He said none of that. His whole purpose was to die for us. And he was God. There was no reason he had experienced any of these things. He could have let us die, and it would have been just. That would have been just. But yet God loved us so much. Jesus loved us so much that they agreed that this is the way it had to happen. Because God wanted us to be with him. And he wanted us to be reconciled to him. And so as Jesus carries out these acts, as Jesus pursues these things, what does God say about all these things? It is shown in verses 9 through 11. It says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is what God wanted. God gives Jesus praise. He says, well done, my son. This is exactly what we had agreed in the eternities of heaven so that the people would come into heaven. And he makes Jesus the king. This was the mindset in which God praises Jesus Christ for. This is the mindset that Paul begins and talks about in verse 5. Paul is saying, have this mind among yourselves. Our whole existence as a church is to be servants to one another. If we are Christians if we believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins, if you believe that you're going to spend an eternity with heaven, then your time on earth is marked by servanthood, is marked by slavery. If you think about it, because we are sons and daughters of the Most High God, we have every right to claim authority and have power. We are going to live forever. Our future is guaranteed. We are assured. And on this short time we have on earth, what are we to do? We are to give up those rights. We are to give up those privileges. And we are, fo- we are to follow Christ and serve one another. We cannot do this on our own power. We cannot have this mindset amongst ourselves by simply willing it, by thinking that you will be a selfless person and that you'll be able to serve others. No, we need to continually look at Jesus Christ. When Paul says in verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, he uses a particular verb, And the verb is froneo, but what it means is to develop an attitude based on careful thought. We as Christians cannot just wake up and aimlessly live our lives. There needs to be self-reflection, and more importantly, there needs to be deep reflection on what Jesus Christ did for us. It is only through that power, it is only through that grace, that we will be able to serve one another and serve the world. And, and it is in this exact point when you will find peace and you will find joy. People have been searching for the meaning of life for years. We still talk about it today. And people get glimpses of it. When they serve one another, when they're in relationship, when they're able to provide one another, that is when they are most fulfilled. But their sin, their selfish desires is what it inhibits them from reaching full happiness. Yet Christ has taken off those bonds and has taken off those chains and has allowed us in all full glory to serve each other, to be in relationship with each other, and to love like Christ loved. In Galatians 5.13, Paul reminds the Galatians that that the whole purpose of their redemption was that they were able to serve others. Let me read this for you. For you were called to freedom, brothers. That is why Jesus Christ saved you. You were called to freedom. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself this is the message that christ brings for us this is the message that christ speaks to us even today and as we think and as we hold the palm trees in our hands let us say hallelujah jesus christ is king but let us also remember that he is the humble king and that we are his humble servants And that he still has a mission for us here on earth. And it is to serve him and to serve our neighbors until he comes back. That is the call and cry of the Christian. And let us reflect upon that this Sunday. Again, remembering that he is king. But he is the humble king who desires for us to serve. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are our king. We thank you that you give us this message. In our hearts, or maybe just in our minds, we know that serving is the right thing to do. But in our hearts, it's so difficult, God. Lord, our flesh constantly desires to live for ourselves, constantly desires to just please myself. But we know that the true happiness, that true joy, the true fulfillment in this life is loving others and then loving you. I pray for ACC that we may gaze upon you and see the gospel, see the great news of our, our God King coming down to die for us. And as we reflect on that, may our actions and may our hearts be moved to service, to be able to love our neighbors to love you. We thank you, O God. May you be our king. May we always remember you and give you all the glory. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.